fix. And verse number 9, Matthew chapter 6, and verse number 9. Let's all stand to our feet in honor of the Word of God this morning, if you would please. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would please speak to hearts this morning. Help me as an inadequate preacher. I pray that you'd fill me with your Holy Spirit and guide and direct my thoughts and my speech. Lord, help me to uplift and magnify your name and help us to put you back in the right position. I pray, Lord, that you would please do a great work that only you can do today. Pour out your Spirit upon these people. We pray this as we ask it in Jesus' name, and amen. You can be seated. God can move in a congregation, in a crowd, in a service, and God's people can miss it. There are times when the Lord tries to get the attention of those who are not listening. That's not the message this morning, but I feel impressed to say that regardless of the type of service that we're having, whether it's a big celebratory service or just another Sunday, as we might see it on the schedule, that any given service is a service where the Holy Spirit of God can change a person's life. One verse, one thought, one simple truth can alter the course of your life. So I strongly encourage that all of us take every service very seriously. Help me this morning to cut down distractions, turn off your cell phones, try not to take a bathroom break if you can, if you can last. If the kids start to get a little bit loud, maybe take them out or take them to the nursery. The Lord is trying to do a work in every service and Sometimes there are lost people that are on their way to hell. And by one distraction, somebody who's not paying attention or who isn't taking it seriously or a child that makes too much noise, somebody who's getting up and down more times than they would if they were watching a two-hour movie. Can prevent somebody from hearing that one truth that could snatch their soul out of hell. It can prevent a father from getting the help that he needs for his children. It can prevent a wife from getting the help that she needs for her husband. I would encourage you to take church services seriously and to help to avoid distraction. The Lord says in verse number 9 of Matthew chapter number 6, the beginning of the Lord's prayer. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. When the Lord gives us his model prayer, I've learned over the course of time as I've tried to pray by this model on a regular basis, 
that it does a couple of things. First, it gives us the obvious and clear instruction about generally how we ought to pray. But it does something else. It begins to put your spirit in the right place and your attitude towards God begins to change. When we get to this first verse of the prayer, we see that the Lord tells us that we are to pray to our Father which is in heaven. And of course we understand that He is our heavenly Father, but I want us to notice the next phrase where He says, Hallowed be Thy name. Now, the word hallow means to make holy, to purify or consecrate, to venerate, which means to uplift and magnify. I believe that what the Lord is trying to do is trying to get the heart of His people in the right place so that He, in our hearts and minds, is in the right place. We have, unfortunately today, a... Oh, what, what should I call it? A movement to devalue the name of God. They bring Him down to mankind's level and try to make Him such that when they worship Him and when they speak of Him, He's no longer holy and pure and venerated, but instead He is one who understands that we are unholy, unpure, and unable to venerate. Let me put it this way. In churches all across America today, hopefully not ours, in churches like ours, but in churches all across our country today, there are people who are worshiping a God who is not as high and lifted up as He used to be in mankind's eyes. He is not as far above all of man's sins as people used to see Him. He is not as holy as man used to see Him. He is not as pure as man used to see Him. And in the course of time, Christians have come to expect that God would understand us more than we are to understand Him. In other words, we get mad if the preacher preaches against our sin because we expect God to just understand where we are in our sin. Instead of expecting to understand how holy God is, we expect to God to understand how unholy we are. And because of that, we have brought Him down to a level where, as Christians, we no longer have the same expectations about what God expects out of us. So even though He says in His Word, be holy for I am holy, even though He tells us to live holy and to be holy, we have Christians all across the world that are making excuses for their sin and expecting God to understand it. He's no longer as high and lifted up and holy in our minds as He used to be. We have churches all across our country that have watered down who God is and what His position should be in our minds and in our hearts and in our lives. 
and we've tried to bring him down to our level of sin and instead of trying to repent of our sin and get right with God and bring our level, our lives up to the level that he expects us to live at. People will get around, uh, get, get onto the stages today of these so-called churches and they'll dance and move and jive and wear inappropriate clothing and they'll use symbols that are of the world and of Satan and then they will use God's name every now and then while they sing a song that is fit for a nightclub and sing in a way that's fit for a nightclub. And that's the God that they know. They know a very, uh, a very worldly God, not the God of the Bible. They know a God that is not exalted and holy and pure. They don't see Him that way. They see a God who is normal, who is common, who, uh, who, who, who is okay with skinny jeans and tight tops and low-cut tops and short skirts and all that kind of stuff because God knows my heart so I can show up to church any way I want. I can worship Him any way I want. I can say whatever I want and God will understand me. That's the God of America today. And I'm not saying that's the God of Calvary Baptist Church, but I am saying that unfortunately on a Sunday morning like this one that we will often have people that maybe you're not as quite on board with the Lord as maybe uh, those Sunday night and Wednesday night and every single church activity Christians are. And I'm not preaching down to you. I'm not preaching at you. But what I am saying is that your expectation and understanding of God may be a little bit different than what God actually expects it to be. And I'm afraid that even in our faithful people, that even though people come on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night and every church activity and function that we are there, that we have allowed our standard of holiness to drop to a level where we have begun to try to excuse our lifestyles instead of seeing God for who He is, we expect Him to see us for who we are. Now does it make a little more sense when I make that statement? So we expect God to have an expectation of us instead of us having expectations of God. And that's not the way that God intended for us to view Him. He said when we pray that our attitude should be and our spirit should be that He is hallowed, that He is high and lifted up, that He is pure, and that He is holy. And if we truly can fall upon our faces before the Lord and say, hallowed be Thy name, and we can say that genuinely in our hearts, then that means that, number one, we are acknowledging His holiness. And because He is so holy, it should cause us to feel unholy. If we were to stand before the throne of God today, would a holy God allow people to worship Him the way that some do? Would a holy God allow some people to view Him the way that some do? I believe that we do stand before God's throne every time we get on our knees. And I believe that He sees us for exactly who we are. And the first position of the Christian's heart is not to be, Lord, you know who I am. It's supposed to be, Lord, I know who you are. I know who you are. I believe that we see in this passage, that our spirit and our attitude towards God is probably, and boy, did I, listen, in case you think I'm preaching at you, let me tell you something this morning, I am preaching at me as well. As I began to study this and understand God's holiness and His purity, I began to see, once again, 
how unworthy I am. I believe if Christians lived on a more consistent basis with an understanding of how holy God is, it would change our behavior. I believe it would change the way that we talk, the way that we treat each other. I believe it would change the kind of person that we are. I believe it would change the things that we watch at home and the things that we listen to when nobody else is paying attention. I think it would change the way that teenagers, that we act with each other when the parents aren't around. I believe it would change the way that we dress. I believe it would change the way that we speak. I believe it would change every part of us. I didn't mean to come in here and be heavy this morning and be harsh. I just meant to give you a vision of the holiness of God. I don't believe that necessarily everybody in here or anybody in here is trying to live against God. But I believe what happens is that sometimes because we lose our vision of who He is, we lose the sight of the position that He ought to hold in our minds and in our hearts, that then because of that we dumb down the Christian life that we live, maybe somewhat unknowingly. The Bible says in Psalm chapter number 96 and verse number 9, O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before Him all the earth. The Lord says that one of the reasons why we should worship Him is because of His beauty in His holiness. And I want to say something this morning. I've preached an entire message on this passage, and I'm just going to kind of intertwine it into the message this morning. But holiness is beautiful. The world has tried to sell a bill of goods to God's people that beauty is achieved by showing off more skin, more flesh. We're getting ready to come into that time of year where people are going to be taking off their clothes and walking around Walmart like you wouldn't walk around your bedroom. And some of them are church folks. If God truly is holy in our minds and in our hearts, I think it would change the way that we dress if we truly believed in that God who is holy. I believe it would change the things that our ladies wear. I think it would change the way that our guys act. I don't know that a... A man ought to be any less decent than a woman. We like to make excuses for guys while they're running around town in their shorty shorts. Shorty shorts are a thing again. You know, I thought we were rid of that when John Stockton and Jeff Hornacek retired. I thought when the Fab Five from Michigan brought in the long shorts, kind of in a spirit of rebellion, I thought maybe that that was going to stick. But now the shorty shorts are back. It's not just for ladies, it's for guys as well. We're getting ready to hit that time of year when guys start taking their shirts off and start wearing their shorty shorts, but boy, I tell you what, they sure do love the Lord. The Lord is holy. And there's beauty in holiness. You want to be beautiful before God's eyes? Live a holy life. Dress 
in a holy way. Live in a holy way. There's beauty to it. There's beauty to a young lady who has wholesomeness while she's walking through the store and she's got a, a, a long skirt on and a, a top that isn't revealing everything as if there wasn't even a top there. Oh, brother. I'm not enjoying this even a little. Last week we saw the love of God and we spend a lot less time seeing the holiness of God. It's fun to preach about the love of God. It's not so fun to preach about the holiness of God. Hallowed be thy name. What does it mean to hallow the name of God? It means to make it holy. To understand how holy His name is and how unholy that we are. You know, we see our view of God in our worship. Let me explain. When I began to do some study on this passage, I saw that the word hallowed and the phrase hallowed be thy name, hallowed has its own definition, and so we get from it exactly what God is trying to accomplish, which is to give us a view of how holy He is, first of all. But then I began to see that this term is not only a term to give us a view of God and to put Him back in the right place in our minds and in our hearts, but it is also a term of worship. And as a term of worship, I began to study what worship really is in the Bible. And you know what's funny? I began to write a message about worship for this Sunday morning, and as I began to write those things out, I had some presuppositions about what worship means. And so I went to the very first mention of the word worship in the Scriptures. It appears in the book of Genesis. And you know where it is? It's actually when Abraham is about to take his son Isaac up to the mountaintop and give him to the Lord, and the Lord has asked him to sacrifice Isaac as if he would sacrifice a lamb unto the Lord. And so Abraham takes Isaac and he begins to go to the top of the mountain with Isaac and he tells the young men that are there with him, journeying with them to the mountain to be servants and to be a help. He tells them, you guys stay here and we're going to go up to the mountain and worship. And so as I began to study that passage out, I thought, well, here I am with my preconceived ideas about what biblical worship really is. And so I thought, you know what, then that means that Worship is being willing to give a sacrifice and an offering unto the Lord. And I wrote that point down, and boy, I was really studying that thing out. But then something inside of me said, why don't you look up what the word worship really means instead of assuming that worship means that it was the same thing that Abraham was going to the top of the mountain to do, which was to sacrifice his own son. And so I thought, yeah, that's probably a good idea. Lord, why don't I do that? It's good usually to agree with the Lord. So I began to study the word worship. And do you know that every single time that the word worship appears in the Old Testament, every single time it has one definition. And do you know what it means? To fall on your knees. To cast yourself down. And to be humbled before Him. And I thought, now wait a minute. But I thought worship was singing. Because isn't that in the Bible somewhere? 
So I went looking for it. Worship him in song. Couldn't find it. Now the Bible does say worship and sing. It does say worship and bring an offering. It does say worship and praise, but they're two separate things. And I kept thinking, but Lord, surely to worship the Lord means to go into the church and sing a song unto Him. It means to lift up our hands and to have that spirit that we see all across churches today where we sway and we, we, we thank the Lord and we, we, we lift up our hands towards heaven. Surely that's worship. No, best I can tell. Now, you go study your Bibles for yourselves and see what you find out. But best I can tell, that's singing. That's praising. But it's not necessarily worshiping. You know, Satan knows what worship is. And I'll tell you how I know. Because in Matthew chapter number 4, when he tempted Jesus on the Mount of Temptation, you know what he said to him? He said, bow down and worship me. You know, Nebuchadnezzar knew what worship was. Because I saw that when I looked up the word worship. In the Old Testament, you know what Nebuchadnezzar told the people to do in order to worship him? They said, when you hear the music play, I want you to bow down and worship me. Is everybody okay? And I began to see that all through the Scriptures, to worship the Lord means to humble ourselves before Him. To worship the Lord means to fall on our knees and fall on our face before Him. And so, because that's what God says to worship Him means, to say, hallowed be thy name, it is in some ways a form of worship, but not the kind of worship that we see in America today and in churches today. What it is, is us seeing God for how high He is and us seeing ourselves for how little we are and how low we are and how lost in our sin we are. And true worship in God's eyes is when God's people in humility cast ourselves at His feet and see Him high and lifted up on His throne of holy glory. And then we say to Him, Lord, You're greater than I. Lord, You're greater than all things in the earth. Lord, You're holier than I am. Lord, You're more pure than I am. Lord, You are more worthy of worship than I am. You are above all things and everything. You're greater than my job. You're greater than my family. You're greater than every other name that is upon the earth in heaven or on the earth. You are greater than all things. And when we put ourselves below Him and exalt His name, that's real worship. But worship today has become not a hallowing worship where we exalt His name and put Him in a position of glory and put Him in a position of purity and put Him in a position of holiness and we put ourselves underneath Him. Instead, we have brought Him down to our level and we've tried to worship Him in our way, the way that we think that He ought to want to be worshipped. And that's not biblical at all. You know, when the woman at the well came to Jesus, she said, but... You know, you Jews, she was a Samaritan woman. You know, the Samaritans and Jews didn't get along very well. She was a Samaritan woman, and she, she, she came to Jesus. Now, by the way, don't get mad at me. Hey, listen, if you, can, if you come to church expecting anything other than for the preacher to try to challenge you spiritually, then you're coming expecting the wrong thing. Listen, if I water down the pulpit and I water down the Word of God to the point that all I'm ever doing is trying to make you feel good about yourself, you'll never be challenged to improve your spiritual walk. 
You'll never be challenged about your sin. You'll never repent and stay right with God. And so every so often we've got to come into church and God has to speak to us on a level that may not be entirely encouraging. It may not be entirely uh, uh, comforting. Last week was very comforting because it was about the love of God. But what about the holiness of God? Is that a Bible doctrine as well? Sure it is. But it's not one that you'll hear in your rock and roll churches. And it's not one that you'll hear on YouTube and Facebook. But it's still in our Bibles. To worship God means to be humbled before Him and to be cast down at His feet and bow our heads below His. And the Bible says that God seeketh such to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Hello? The woman at the well, she said, Hey, hey, uh, we're Samaritans, you're Jews, Jesus. So, you know, you all say that you're supposed to worship in Jerusalem. But my forefathers worshipped in these mountains. And this is where we worship. And she's looking at worship as a very earthly thing, as being connected to mountains and and temples in Jerusalem, and and worship as being something that only happens in the church house, or worship that only happens in a physical place. She's thinking of worship on a physical level, the places that you go to meet with God. And so Jesus now, she has not yet been regenerated, she has not yet been saved, and so Jesus is speaking to her and teaching her the truth about how to be saved, but he stops for a second, he says, now hold on, hold on, the time will come when all men shall worship before him, and they will worship before Him in spirit and in truth, and God seeketh such to worship Him. And so what did He say? He wasn't speaking on a physical level. He said, look, you know what? I tell you what. Forget Jerusalem and forget the mountains. God is a spirit. And by the way, this isn't a hooky-spooky, you know, we're waiting for for the feeling of the Spirit of God to overcome us so we can worship Him. You know, people use that verse to say that God is a spirit means that we're supposed to wait for the flooding and the the rush of the spirit. Make it into a very ooey-gooey, spooky thing. God is a spirit. Well, yeah. He, He exists in a spiritual realm that we cannot see with our own eyes, but one day we will see when we take on a spiritual body, when we die or when we are raised uh, in the rapture. And so, one of these days we will all see Him in His spiritual form and in this earth, He is here in the form of the Holy Spirit and He dwells among men and He woos men unto Him and He seeks those that are lost, and He continues to be a comfort to those that are saved. God is a spirit, and we are supposed to worship Him in spirit and in truth. But, listen, it's not just about putting our minds and our hearts on the fact that God can be worshipped in spirit. In other words, not just in a building. You can worship Him in your life by the way that you live. You can worship Him in your life by continuing to have a humble spirit towards Him and having a view of Him as being holy. You can do that anywhere at any time. It doesn't have to be in the church house. It doesn't have to be at the altar. You can fall on your face before God at your house and meet with the Lord. 
That's partly worshiping Him in spirit. But also I believe that what he was saying is that God seeketh such to worship Him, those who worship Him in spirit and in truth. I believe he was also talking about our spirit towards Him being in the right place in our worship. Knowing who He is, what He is, how holy He is, and how unworthy we are, that's true worship when we have the right spirit towards God. To truly worship God, to worship Him in truth, means to know how to worship Him. It means to have the right spirit about him and to know who we really are in his eyes. And so he tells that woman, look, you don't have to go to church to worship him. God is seeking for you to have a regenerated spirit and worship him all the time, every day in your life. And you know what? We see evidence of that when she goes running into the city and she starts telling all the men about the Jesus that told her every sinful thing that she ever did. In other words, she has repented, gotten right with God about her wicked lifestyle, and now she's trying to lead others to Christ because of it. Her wicked spirit had been redeemed and she was no longer in the same spirit and in the same mind. She was already worshiping him in the right spirit because now she was going out having repented of her sin and now telling others about Jesus. That's the kind of spirit he was talking about. That's the kind of spirit that we need to have towards the Lord. A spirit that follows us all day, every day, where we have the right view of God, the right view of ourselves, and we are constantly in a state of spiritual hum humbleness and humility before God. That is worship in God's eyes. Now, we see that the Bible says that we are to say unto him, Hallowed be thy name. I want you to look at it one more time. We're about to close up shop. Look at verse number 9 in Matthew chapter 6. After this manner therefore pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now remember, that word hallowed very clearly teaches us that we are to make God holy in our minds and in our hearts, that we are to make God pure in our minds and in our hearts, and that we are to venerate Him. That means to lift Him up, to exalt Him, to see Him as higher than anything, as being above everything, as being more important than anything. And so therefore we submit ourselves to Him. We change our spirit towards Him. <coughs> we see Him in His holiness and we want to live holy. We see Him in His purity and we want to live pure. And we can start every day in the right way if we start in the right spirit with the Lord. Hallow His name. Put Him high above everything else in this earth. Put Him a lot higher than where He is in most Christians' minds because He's high and lifted up in the beauty of holiness. And to hallow His name means to acknowledge that He is holy and that we as His people should worship Him in holiness. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would please take these simple truths and help us, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would convict us of our sin. I pray that you would help us to have the desire to get right with you. Help us to see that you're not necessarily the God that some of these worldly churches have made you into a God that understands and accepts sin. But rather, Lord, help us to see you <coughs> as the one that we should hallow, the one that we should make holy in our hearts and minds, the one that we should see as pure in our hearts and minds, the one that we should revere and lift up and exalt and see above all other things, including ourselves. Lord, I pray that we would live with a spirit of righteousness and a desire to live holy. 
with heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around this morning, how many would say, preacher, 